How about those? Yeah, what a game. That, thank you for my husband did that for us. Uh, he wanted to do the big cannon poppers, and I said, well, I have a meeting directly after first service, so who's going to clean up all my confetti? So he just got me the little champagne ones. Aren't they cute? He loves me. He loves you guys, too. So uh, how about what a game, right? I watched uh, at the home of my, with my family, at the home of my daughter-in-law's parents, and it didn't take long for a uh, celebration ritual to be born. Anyone else hear or be responsible for others hearing those big, booming fireworks after every single touchdown? Yeah, yeah, we did too. And my sweet granddaughter, she must have thought all us grown-ups had lost our ever-loving minds. All she knew is it was loud and scary. She quickly learned our ritual, and each time the living room would erupt in joyful shouts, she would race to the protective arms of her daddy to be scooped up as everyone dashed outside. And she would cover her ears and she would bury her face in his chest in anticipation of the big explosion. But she knew everything would be okay because she was with her daddy. Well, as Pastor Mike said, it is Transfiguration Sunday. And it is the final Sunday of the season of Epiphany. And just like we traditionally hear those familiar scripture passages for the Christmas Eve services and also familiar passages on Easter morning, on Transfiguration Sunday, we're invited to hear again about when Jesus had the moment on the mountaintop when his glory was revealed to his closest companions. The account is found in three of the four Gospels, and today we will hear from the book of Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you and one for Elijah and one for Moses. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't don't tell anyone about what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Speak to us, Father, I pray. 
speak to us. Bring your words to life by the power of your Holy Spirit and give us ears to hear your truth that sustains us. In the glorious name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Any avid readers in the room? Avid readers, anyone? Okay, yeah. When you're reading a novel and you come to the end of one chapter and the beginning of the next, we expect a new thought to be introduced. We're accustomed to chapter breaks that complete one part of the story and lead us into the next. But not so with our Bibles. The chapter breaks in here are not part of the original text. When Matthew was writing his account of Jesus' life, (laughs) he didn't divide it by chapter and verse. The numbers that we see here in our Bibles came along around the 16th century, at least for the New Testament. And so when Matthew here wrote today's passage, after six days, we're kind of jumping into the middle of something. And it's a clue for us to back up a bit to understand how it's all tied together as an event, as a whole event. The passage will make more sense to us if we know the context in which it was written, just like you wouldn't open a novel and start in the middle. So if we go back to chapter 16, we read that Jesus was with his disciples and he asked them, who do the people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist and Others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, he answered pretty boldly, I'm imagining. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus turns and tells Peter that he is blessed, for he didn't learn that from books or from teachers but from God himself. And Jesus goes on to tell Peter who Peter really is, the rock on which Jesus will build his church. That's a whole lot of important identity affirmation going on here. The disciples declare that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus tells Peter he will be the foundation of the church. That's pretty powerful stuff. These identity affirmations will be vital for the road ahead of them. Because Jesus goes on to try to make it clear to his disciples that the road ahead leads to Jerusalem. That he will suffer, be killed, and on the third day, raised to life. But the guys, they just don't get it. Not at all. Jesus tells them that not only that, but if they continue to follow him on this road, they will also take up crosses. And he promised them that their sacrifice, there will be a great reward for them. Jesus tells them, some of you standing here are going to see it take place. See the Son of Man in kingdom glory. And that's where chapter 16 ends. And then 17 says, after six days. Because after six days, that's exactly what they saw. On that mountain, Jesus 
transfigured in kingdom glory. Jesus, who on that mountaintop hears again his identity affirmed by his father, just like he heard at his baptism and at the beginning of his ministry before he made that trek into the wilderness. This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus needed these words, this holy reminder. The road ahead will lead to the darkest hours of Jesus' earthly ministry. Betrayal, humiliation, suffering, abandonment, death. The disciples needed these words. Following Jesus will lead to their darkest hours as well. They heard these words from God that affirmed their declaration that Jesus indeed is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. They can listen and trust him. He is worthy of their sacrifice. And friends, we need these words. We need these words as we begin our Lenten journey here in just a few days. As we receive the ashes of repentance on Wednesday and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us to restore our relationship with the Father. We need these words from the mountaintop because Our valleys are loud and scary. We desperately need to hear the voice of God saying, You are my child. I love you. (laughs) Watching my granddaughter repeat her own touchdown ritual of racing to her daddy in response to all the chaos going on around her reminded me of two post-it notes that I keep in my top desk drawer in my office downstairs here at Faith. One is a word of comfort. It says it's going to be okay, really. The second one is a word of challenge. What would you do if you were confident that God is with you? My granddaughter She knew everything would be okay because she was confident that her daddy was with her. This year we are asking each and every Sunday, what did Jesus do in our text? And today we hear that Jesus met with God on a mountaintop. He was reminded who his father is and who he is to his father And he faced what waited for him in that valley below with confident assurance because he knew God was with him. His father was with him. The harder question that we're also asking each week this year in response to what Jesus did, what will I do? I mean, it's all well and good that Jesus met God on a mountaintop. But how do we do that? Anybody been to a mountaintop lately? I mean, we live in Grain Valley. 
right? I wonder if our mountaintops look a bit differently. What if they are the sacred moments tucked within our mundane, everyday life? Like cranking up the praise and worship music in our car, right? And singing along in spite of the chaos that's going on around us and worshiping God. What if we, like Jesus, grab our three closest friends and leave the brokenness of our valley and spend an hour on Sunday morning standing amazed in God's presence with others who love him here at this place? Maybe your mountaintop is quietly marveling at a sunrise or a sunset or spending some time in awe of the expansive night sky. Perhaps it's taking a walk to explore creation and abiding in the beauty made by his own hand. Or maybe it's my favorite, rocking a sleeping baby. Or hearing our children sing. Maybe it's spending some moments dwelling on the promises from God's word. Where do you meet with God? When do you, how do you experience his glory? What I know to be true, because some of you have entrusted me with your experiences, is that sometimes the moments we spend in God's presence don't feel so glorious. And yet... You have known God's illuminating presence in very real ways while in your darkest hours and days. Having those experiences, those mountaintop experiences. By having those, you are an encouragement to those who are walking in that same darkness and need someone to come alongside them with the hope and truth, that light will shine again. It will be okay, really. Because others need Christ in you, the hope of glory. Like my granddaughter holding on tightly to her daddy when things were loud and scary, we can cling to our Heavenly Father and rest in the assurance that we are not alone. And did you catch that verse back at the beginning of our reading when the disciples heard God's voice and they were flat on their faces terrified? Jesus came and touched them. And he said, do not be afraid. And the text says, and when they looked up, all they saw was Jesus, only Jesus. Spend some time on your mountaintop looking up at Jesus, only Jesus. And then return back to your valley, changed, filled with confident assurance that God is with you. Do not be afraid. He loves you. You are his child. You are not alone.
Amen.